0: Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So, kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Well, it's good to be back with y'all. I mean, I've been here, but, you know, it's good to be preaching again. And, I don't know about y'all uh but i like to overthink things like a lot does that resonate with any of you yeah i thought i thought that would be true (laughs) but you know one of the the things that i i really like to overthink is like how did things begin not like how did the world begin you know I, i i've got a solid theological handle on that because the bible says in the beginning god so, I got that part down, but, but I'm thinking more like, how did things that humans have created begin? Like, what was happening inside the mind of the person who created the first automobile? Or even farther back in time, like, what was the process of trial and error that went into creating new types of construction materials like concrete? It's not like a naturally occurring thing, you know? But here's a super deep thing, and and maybe you're a little bit more prepared for this because it's a little bit later in the day than the 930 service was. But who invented dinosaur sounds? Right? You're just now realizing in this moment that somebody had to invent them because no one was around to hear what they sounded like. So someone just made an educated guess, and we've just been going along with it ever since. You're going to think about that for the next 20 minutes other than what, rather than what I'm about to say. <laughs> <laughs> But this is, you know, this is the kind of brain that I have always had. And so I'd like to throw a special shout out to my mom here on Mother's Day. She's not with us, but she'll be watching at some point or listening. And, you know, my mom had to endure a lot of long days, weeks, months, and years, even decades, of living with me and this brain and i know that she's not the only one all of you overthinkers out there you didn't just start overthinking when you got older you were the culprits of the most asked question in the entire world why right so your moms are all champions too you moms out there you've heard it congratulations happy mothers day anyway along the lines of overthinking things uh I had a thought the other day, that was actually a while ago, and I was thinking about, you know, what it must have been like for those first humans who ever learned how to start fires on their own. You know, that's something that people had to figure out. As you know, a fire can be the most destructive force on earth, right? We we only need to watch news during certain months of the year to, to realize what a wildfire can do to certain parts of the Pacific coast, specifically, or pacifically, as some kids might say. In California, wildfires spread quickly and they burn for a long period of time and they destroy everything in their wake, Dis- displacing populations while they move. But I got to thinking, you know, about how the first people to harness fire for good got the bright idea that, like, hey, maybe this thing that we experience in our natural world is something that we could use for good, that we could use to help us out. I'm sure fire for them... For many many years was just this natural phenomena that happened when there was a storm with lightning and the lightning struck a tree but at some point someone decided this could be something that we can use for good and they did they used it to cook meat which probably kept people alive a lot longer than they were back then they could use it to keep warm when it got cold out and eventually they would use fire to manipulate metal into tools that they could use those early people saw something that they didn't understand right the 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 phenomena of fire and all that it did to this world but it gave them an idea it gave them hope that maybe something different could happen with fire maybe our lives could change maybe the world could be different if we just use to learn this thing that we don't quite understand. And so today we're going to begin a series called How to Start a Fire. This is not a series that I would teach to a youth group because then they would go home and say, well, the pastor told me I could start a fire. But this series called How to Start a Fire is going to look at the book of Acts and how the book of Acts gives us the story of how the early church spread like wildfire across the known world. And what we're going to find today is that the work of starting this fire that was known as The Way and eventually became known as The Church, how that story began long before any of the primary actors actually understood what would occur. The beginning of this story occurred when all of Jesus' disciples were still trying to understand the things that they were seeing and experiencing as they traveled the world with Jesus. And what we're going to find is that it all began with a promise. And with that promise, the idea that just maybe Jesus' disciples might be able to do the work of Jesus once Jesus was no longer physically present on earth. And so in the Gospel of John, kind of towards the end of Jesus' ministry and life, he's talking to his disciples, and he's preparing them emotionally and spiritually for the fact that he is going to die. So while he's preparing them for the crucifixion, Jesus says these words from John chapter 14. He says, If you love me, then you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. And so this is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. See, I will not leave you orphaned, but I am coming to you in a little while the world will no longer see me but you will see me and because i live you will also live and on that day you will know that i am in my father and you in me and i in you and they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me and those who love me will be loved by my father and i will love them and i will reveal myself to them now judas not judas iscariot said to him lord How is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? But Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but from the Father who sent me. But I have said all of these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. So, Jesus' words here are a promise that God will be with his people, that even when Jesus is physically gone, they will not be alone in this world to figure things out they will have god's presence with them in the form of the holy spirit which will give them knowledge and as we find out will also give them the power that they need in order to continue the mission that jesus came and began here on earth but then shortly after this conversation as you may remember a pretty deep collective trauma occurs to the disciples. You see even though Jesus had tried to prepare them for his crucifixion and death, they were still stunned when it actually happened. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but when I experience something particularly traumatic, when life gets really really hard, it becomes really really hard for me to remember the promise that things are going to get better it's hard for me to remember to hope it's hard for me to remember while I'm in the midst of the muck that there's something better on the other side see it's hard to see past the mess and the pain that we find ourselves in and Jesus also knew that and so as you probably recall on Easter we celebrate the fact that Jesus did not in fact stay dead but rather came out of the tomb and that when Jesus was raised from the dead he walked alongside of his disciples and taught them for another 40 days. This is the period of time that we're in now if we were looking at a church calendar this time called Easter tide. Where we celebrate jesus's continuing and equipping presence among the people that he had called to do the work of building his church and it's in this sweet time that the disciples had with jesus that the collective trauma that they had experienced was eased by the joy of jesus's resurrection and it's in this time that jesus knows that They need to have that promise that was made to them back in the gospel of john reiterated to them because i i can only guess what the disciples were thinking but if it was me i would for sure be thinking that jesus was here for good that he had conquered death that jesus was here for the long haul that jesus was going to be the one who did all of the heavy lifting in the work of spreading the gospel. But that wasn't the plan at all. In fact, Jesus was shortly going to ascend into heaven. And so he gathered his disciples together to speak to them one last time before he went. And this interaction is where the story of the book of Acts begins. And so, logically, that's where this sermon series is going to begin. So, the book of Acts, it was written by a man named Luke. Now, Luke wrote another book in your Bible. It's called Luke, right? So, he had to come up with a better title for the second one. But Acts Acts was written by Luke, and Luke was a non-Jewish Jewish physician, so he was a, a Gentile, as the people called him. And, and these two books, Luke and Acts, that he wrote are the only books in our Bibles that are not written by Jewish people. But Luke was very well versed in the culture and the religion of Israel. And so what Luke did was initially he set out to compile a historical record of the life of Jesus that we find in the book of Luke. And and what Luke particularly focuses in on is the way that Jesus' message was a message for all people. Particularly the way that Jesus' message was for those who were outside of the nation of Israel, those who were the most downtrodden and despised people in the world. And so then, once accomplishing that feat, Luke went on to write the book of Acts, which details the way that this message for all people truly spread across the world to all people despite the many obstacles that it faced. And so, the book of Acts begins in this way. Luke says, in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the very beginning until the day when He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. See, after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. It's kind of like that, that previously on 30 seconds that you get uh, at the beginning of every episode of a TV show, you know, Uh, this is like the setup for the whole story that's about to follow. Luke is linking the book of Acts to the gospel of Luke, which begins addressed specifically to the same person, this man named Theophilus, who is believed to be the financial sponsor for Luke's historical and fact-finding mission. And so, Luke says to him, hey, Theo, you remember what I wrote about in my last book, correct? That Jesus taught a lot of stuff. He died, then he came back, and then he hung out with a bunch of people for 40 days before he headed up to heaven. Well, in case you forgot, here's a reminder. He was talking to the disciples and teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then Luke continues on with these words. He says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Luke shows us this reminder, this reiteration of the original promise that John had written down in his gospel, the promise that Jesus had made to his disciples, saying to them, the Holy Spirit is coming, and it's coming to you soon. And it's this promise that lays the foundation for the world to change. But Jesus doesn't just stop there and promising them that the Holy Spirit will be coming. Because the fact that the Holy Spirit comes is only a part of the equation. Equally important is the reason why the Holy Spirit is coming. And so Luke goes on. He says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? But he replied to them, It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth you got to love the disciples right they're like oh Jesus is this when you're going to do stuff is this when you're going to do the thing that we've hoped for and that you definitely said was not your mission to come and do to restore the kingdom to Israel like repeatedly you told us that's not what I'm here for you've changed your mind that was that was before the grave right now now's when it's going to happen and Jesus is like no this is not the time children you see what we see here and what we also embody ourselves quite frequently is that the disciples have a very narrow view they still think that the world revolves around Israel They still believe that Jesus' mission was nationalistic in nature. That that Jesus has come to restore Israel's autonomy. that, That Jesus maybe has come to put them back on top of the geopolitical food chain. Or at the very least, to at least put them back on the map. Get them out from under the thumb of Rome. And this is one of the most important lines in the entire book of Acts. Because this question, is this the time when you're going to restore the nation, the kingdom of Israel? This question defines the tension that is going to happen within the Jesus movement, within the world that the Jesus movement impacts. And eventually, what the Jesus movement is going to overcome. You see, Jesus' followers are still thinking very narrowly about Jesus' goal. They immediately want to build walls and contain this gift that they've been given. They, They immediately want to contain this gift that they haven't even gotten yet, but that's been promised to them through the Holy Spirit. But the beauty of Jesus' mission and the book of Acts is that Jesus' response to their question is this, no, no, now is not the time for me to restore the kingdom of Israel. Now is the time for you, you, my people, to go and bring about the kingdom of God. You will be the ones who do this work You are going to do the heavy lifting, but you're not going to do it alone. What Jesus says is the work that you are going to get to doing is to bring my story, my way of life, my gospel of good news, my message of salvation to Jerusalem, to all of Judea and Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, you are going to go and you're going to bring all of this gift that I have given to you, to your friends here in Jerusalem and in Judea, all of the Jewish people. You're going to bring it to your frenemies in Samaria, those whom you are familiarly linked to but that you don't like. And then you're going to bring it to your enemies, the rest of the world. And this is the pattern that we are going to trace over the next several months as we travel through the book of Acts together. Jerusalem, the holy city, is going to be ground zero for a fire that is going to spread outwards and encompass all of the world. All of Judea, the Jews, all of Samaria, the lost tribes, and all the rest of the world all of the people who were seen as those who oppressed israel for so many years the disciples are thinking small but the promise is bigger than anyone could imagine the promise has no boundaries and this is the orienting vision that jesus has for this ragtag band of people that are called his followers he says to them, you will receive the power that you saw me wield in front of you. You've seen what the power of God has done through me, and now it's your turn. Go on, harness it, and change the world. See, the disciples in this moment, like they, they remind me of what it must have been like for human beings to stare out at a naturally occurring fire and wonder to themselves, what if we could do that? What if we could harness that? What if we could start a fire? What could we do with it? Could we change the world? See, the disciples sat in the awe and mystery of this promise that Jesus made, that through them the power of God might be known to all of the world. And this is the same promise that all of us, every generation of Jesus' followers, are left with. We come to the table of Jesus and we're told that now we have the Holy Spirit. Now we have been given the power of God. And that through it, we are empowered to change the world. In fact, the mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples for the transformation of the world. In other words... The mission of the church is to start fires and watch them grow but it's so easy for us to either forget the promise that we have been empowered to do this work or to simply think too small to try to place walls around just how much we can accomplish for the kingdom of god in the world See, the promise of the Holy Spirit and the purpose to bring the message of God's love and the gospel of Jesus is an invitation to us to wonder. It's an invitation to us to dream. It's an invitation to us to take action. See, much like those people who first had the thought to try to harness the power of fire, we are faced with the reality that if we are willing to listen to and embrace the power of God within us as individuals and as a community, that we too might be able to start a fire that changes hearts, that changes lives, and that changes communities. And so it's my hope and my prayer that as we take this journey through the book of Acts together, that your hearts and your minds would be open to the wonder and the awe of the movement of God and how God is calling us to be a part of that continuing work here in this piece of our world. I pray that you will be inspired and that together we will know just how far and wide our influence can spread when we take the initiative to start a fire. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you for the fact that you have called us, your people, to come and to be a part of all that you are doing in this world, to be a a part of this wonderful mystery called the church, this community that you have given a mission set apart to do the work of transforming this world. And so, God, we pray that a fire would start here in and among us, a fire that can't be contained, a fire that spreads across this world, bringing the, the knowledge of your love, your grace, and your will for us and how we are to live as far as we could ever imagine. God, we love you, and it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.